everybody, before we get started, two quick announcements. First, the three of us are headlining next year's Workbench Con. That's in 2019. So tickets have just started to go on sale, and half of the early bird tickets are already gone. So they're going really fast. They've already sold more tickets uh, in the first few days than they did all of last year. So if you want to make it to this event, last year was epic. Everyone had a great time. It was a blast. Make sure you go to workbenchcon.com and get your tickets. If you don't want to remember how to spell that or want to type it in, just look for Workbench Conference on Instagram and click on their link. The other quick announcement is that we have free Maker Brand Simple Finish once again. That's right. We are doing another run of samples of simple finish. If you remember a few weeks back, we did this and we had a few hundred bottles and they went in about two hours. Well, this time we've got over a thousand available and all you have to do is pay for shipping. We want to be really straightforward and upfront about this. We are not profiting on the sale of the oil whatsoever on these samples. All that we ask is that you all pay for shipping and handling. We want to get as much of this simple finish oil with wax combo into as many hands as possible. That way you all can try it out and see just how good it is. You all know that we've been using it and that we love it and we want you guys to try it out as well. So make sure to follow the link in the podcast notes or on any of our Instagram stories and you will be led to that landing page. You can't get there from the website. The only way is through these links. And like I said, last time we did a run like this, they sold out in about two hours. So make sure and act quick. Samples are going live as soon as this podcast does. Hello and welcome to Modern Maker Podcast, episode 110, Son of a Pitch, as was pointed out by Mike last week when he was uh, having an idea on the uh, fly while Ben was talking about something. Today is Thursday, October 11th, otherwise known as It's My Party Day. Mike's having a a bathroom party. (laughs) I see see the the plumbing party, actually. Yeah, the plumbing party has been in this past week and it's been a lot tougher of a challenge than I expected it to be. I went into it pretty confident. Now that I've seen everything done, I'm confident that I could do it successfully again. But learning everything for the first time is definitely a whole different hurdle. Trying to find the right YouTube video, making sure the YouTube video you're watching relates to the plumbing in the house that you're working on. Right. All those kind of things. I think I talked about it a little bit last week, but the good news is the bathroom remodel that I'm working on, all of the plumbing is finished, showers in, so the last steps are just patching up drywall, tiling floors, and then throwing in all of the vanities, toilets, and things like that. So I'm really excited to have this one done. I've got a ton of awesome products coming from Home Depot. It's really cool. The Like I mentioned last week, the last bathroom renovation I did was really on a budget. It was kind of doing all of the small cosmetic things that go a long way for not a lot of money. But on this one, since Home Depot is footing the bill on most of the products, that means I get to use some really cool fixtures. I get to use some really neat tile. I get to use some great vanities, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited just to mess around with higher end finishes and see how the audience responds to it. It's kind of funny. A lot of people I think will say, oh, that's great, but you spent a ton of money or this or that. But ultimately, even if I spent cash on this renovation, the equity earned or the value added to the home, even though it's my friend's house, not me. So we're going to take that out of the context, but (laughs) assuming it would have been my house, the value added is going to be way more than I would have spent on any of this. So it's really exciting, cool to see, and definitely encouraging for when it comes time to either build a house or renovate a house here in the near future. 
Yeah, home renovations are in sort of a different category when it comes to cost because they can actually raise the value of your home and you could even refinance to get some of that money back out if you do a great job and and really are able to communicate how it's uh, improved the value of the home. So I think it's, even though it may have a higher sticker price, it should be evaluated in a totally different way than like making a dining table or something like that, which does nothing to the value of the house. Exactly. It has been pretty interesting though, because of the higher end fixtures, whether, or I guess a good example would be the shower, the tub and shower spout, all of that, the whole fixture set. I think it ended up being about 550 bucks. So if I were bu- if I were building it myself, I probably would have gotten something around the $150, $200 range. And it's crazy. The weight of the fixtures themselves, I don't know how exactly what to say, but you can definitely tell just touching it. All of, every, all of the mechanical parts just have a certain fluidity to them that's really, really nice. Well, low-end fixtures often are chrome-plated plastic at the yeah. really low end of the market. And weight is the kind of the thing that you're looking for. You know, are they are, are they really made out of metal? Are they, you know, are all the valves and stuff brass instead of plastic? All that kind of stuff definitely adds to the heftiness of the of the product. Absolutely. But so that's pretty much what's going on in my world. Uh, there is a possibility I'll have a video out this week, but I've been I've been pulling late nights on this, so there's a good chance it might be a dry week on the YouTube channel. Speaking of Chris, you just. You just didn't put out a video this week, so tell me what you've been doing instead. That's right. I just didn't put out a video. Um, So yeah, I got a bunch of stuff uh, to play off the whole bathroom, I'll make a pun, a bunch of stuff in the can. Whoa. And uh, watch out. Uh, Yes. I I have two garage organization videos that are pretty much done. I'm just waiting on like one other product to finish off the other one. I have to edit both of those. I think I might get one out later this week with any luck if I can uh, pull some like late nights editing or something. And then I'm also working on the next furniture piece that I'm building, which is going to be a third record player console. Um, it's weird because I don't, I'm not even, I don't even collect records or, or <laughs> I'm not into records, but it seems to be like one of those pieces that people who want commissioned furniture want record player consoles. There seems to be a lot of demand out. So like all three times that I've built them, it's been because somebody contacted me and was interested in having me build that, build one for them. So this was actually an interesting build because I'm trying something new. If you guys remember with the last one that I did, that was like my um, straw on the camel's back where I decided like, okay, I'm officially not doing commissioned pieces anymore. Right. Just, you know, the schedule of making videos and the schedule of doing that are just at odds with one another. So this guy contacted me about making it. And I, I basically came up with the idea of, okay, how about this? It's going to be like 50% of the cost of what I would charge normally for a commission piece, but it's only going to be about like 75% or 80% as good as it would normally be. So I'm not going to like beat myself up over like every little thing, which is what I did with that project where I was just like, this just isn't commission quality. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be more video quality, which, you know, I'll admit there's a difference between video quality and commission quality. And so the guy was like, yeah, I'm totally down for that. So I'm going to try it out. So far, it's been a good experience. I don't want to jinx it. We'll see how it all comes together. But I mean, if that's something that works out, it's something that I would keep doing because I could see it like giving me, I I do like commission pieces from the standpoint that it just makes me think of different things 
because I'm catering to somebody else instead of just myself. So it's like what they want, but then being able to put my spin on it and, and try to make both people happy about the way it comes out. So I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. And I'm really happy with the design that we came up with together. It's a lot more, um, it's still like a little, you know, angular and weird looking, but it, it looks more elegant, I would say, than most of the things that I typically build. So should be interesting to see how it all comes together. You hit on a couple of interesting points there. One, I really appreciate the way you were sort of upfront and set the expectations from the beginning. I think that's really critical when you're doing commission yeah. work. And it's kind of cool that you you tailored things down to exactly what you want to do that works for you. Mm-hmm. So you were in the driving seat. You offered value in exchange for what's valuable to you, which is less tedium, uh, a more efficient project. And at the same time, offering it in terms of a cost savings to the client and communicating why they're getting a savings for that. Right. The other thing that's interesting, I think, is that you you highlighted that a record player console is sort of a more obscure project type relative. Like it's not the most common piece of furniture that everyone has in their home. But I think it's, it totally makes sense as a custom piece because if you're going to go with something... Something like that is communicates about somebody's identity, right? Like their their musical collection, particularly in the format of vinyl, is going to mean a lot about their their personal identity and how they sort of think of themselves. So that's exactly where somebody would want custom. Whereas maybe you have like a big family and you're thinking about the Thanksgiving table, you might think about the dining table, but otherwise furniture. The, you already have a role filler for those in most cases in most people's homes. So yeah. I think for builders and makers that are aspiring to do custom commissions, thinking about those types of commissions that are really representative of a person's identity are, I think, interesting options for doing sort of non-typical projects like tables, benches, uh, beds, and things like that. That's something that I think about a lot is like if you wanted to just make a living doing commissioned furniture i think finding a niche is a really good idea assuming that you know you don't just get bored of the monotony of it but yeah something like a record player is totally a passion project for people it's not something that they need so it's something that they're going to be more likely to want to spend money on um i always think that other good niches would be and actually johnny brooke would probably be a good person to ask about this but what are they called like humidors or wherever you would keep a cigar like that seems like a good one because People who are into that probably also have money. I always think another really good one would be big fancy doors because anybody who's in the market for a big fancy door has a big house and probably has a lot of money. (laughs) It just seems like finding those kind of niches would be good places to make something that you could like really turn pretty big. Bar carts could be another interesting one as well. Get the people drunk enough, they don't know what they're spending. Well, you could really tailor like the way you present the barware to like the cocktail types that they make the most often and things like that. Also, if you look at where people sort of express themselves, well, if you take clothing, for example, most people don't wear really colorful, crazy pants, right? Like pants are kind of the more basic thing. They're more expressive with shirts or more expressive with shoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think you can look at the same thing with with furniture and pick the pieces where you see people differentiating themselves rather than trying to fit in with what they think is sort of a normal, presentable interior design scheme. Right. So there you go. Everyone out there building commissions, you got the checklist. Expensive character defining hobbies. Pokemon collections. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's another cool one. Like, uh, 
some sort of case to display commemorative things or some sort of collectible. Well, yeah, I remember there was also that company that was making dining tables that convert into really fancy like card tables, like poker tables or oh, even yeah. like trading. Yeah, I don't know about trading card card games. I don't know any of the names of them, but kind of that kind of thing as well. Magic the Gathering, baby. Yeah, that's I what I'm I need a case of. for my NASCAR plates. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> I said expensive character-defining <laughs> hobbies. Where am I going to put my Princess Diana commemorative yeah, there we time go. life <laughs> teacups? <laughs> that's funny. All right, Ben, what do you got going, my man? I'm back to work on the tiny house, really awesome. trying to wrap it all up and finish everything. We have the, the guys coming to install the sprinklers tomorrow and the next day so we're recording on a monday and that's this crazy thing that you have to do in california is that all new houses in this county regardless of what materials are made out of regardless of what's going on in the landscape around them have to have fire sprinklers in them okay i thought you were talking about like landscaping sprinklers i was like that seems like a crazy rule you gotta water the dirt (laughs) we want that sand wet this is also a crazy rule that in it's a huge, uh, not to get too political, but it's a huge government overreach that it's unilateral and there aren't really making cases or exceptions for it. This is an incredibly small house. The egress m- methods are easy and it's clad in steel. So it's not exactly that fire vulnerable. Yeah. So the fact that you're mandated to spend an extra four to six thousand dollars to put in something that really is more likely to fail and flood the house than it is to actually save your house from fire is dumb but uh it's just one of the the challenges of building in california does it yeah i was gonna at, at first i was thinking oh does it offset your insurance costs but then i was thinking no there's probably more chance that it'll cause damage so it might actually increase it your insurance it, it increases it because you have a chance for flooding now that being said i I put these in my building in boston but that's a a three-unit apartment building and it's in a city and there's neighbors and i totally get it there because it's not just about personal responsibility what happens in your home can affect the neighbors and the people down below so it's not that i'm against fire sprinklers and things like that i just think in a house that's surrounded by concrete and gravel with no vegetation uh, yeah. for quiet ways, and there's no neighbors for a couple hundred yards, uh, it's a little bit of an overkill. But uh, we're getting it done, and you know there'll still be a learning opportunity. And it'll also be nice to show this process to you know. I'll, I actually was looking at the demographics of what states watch uh, my videos the most, and. California, I mean, obviously, because it's one of the most populated states, it yeah. is pretty high, uh, pretty high up there, and it's consistently sort of number one. So, Yeah, that's the same with Instagram. Woo! Los Angeles yeah. and New York City are always the major two cities. And I've always been surprised by New York. I didn't know there would be as big of a maker movement or kind of DIY movement in such a tightly populated area. It's pretty cool to hear. Well, there's more people in that city than probably your whole state. Screw you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, fine. I mean, no, probably, you're probably right, right though. Yeah. So working on that, and then I am finishing up the table for Gary V. I just checked out your video, Mike. Awesome. Really, really cool edit. Love it's how you did everything with the sort of like TV show intro style for the, the Urban Timber guys. Yeah, you were doing good hosting. When you were doing like your walk Thank and you. talk through the place, I was like, oh man, this guy's HGTV ready. That hair? Well, it's an interesting challenge once the video gets longer than 10, 12 minutes. And it's something I know you 
do a good job of, Chris, of breaking, you do a good job of breaking your videos up into the design process and then the build process. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way of kind of sectioning the video and giving people a little bit of room to breathe. But with this, I just knew I didn't want it to just be this step, next step, next step, next step for 10 to 15 minutes long. So doing that intro, I obviously was good for getting people up to speed, but there was a really great natural break between building the table, getting it dropped off, and then starting the base. So I was able to kind of use that as a little breather. And it's kind of like two videos in one rather than one long, monotonous video. I think it was. No, I thought it was really good. It was also really cool seeing their shop after hearing you talk about it on the podcast, like how big it is, but then like how simple it kind of is. They just have those like few tools that they're really using, but all the space to work with. I saw all the, uh, the burrow brand, uh, sawhorses. Yes. The burrow, the burrow boards or whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was pretty funny is, and I really thought about doing it, but Jimmy Duresta put out a conference table video about five days before I put out mine, and he named his Duresta 13-foot-long table or something like that. Uh-huh. And I was about to do the same thing except just put Montgomery 12-and-a-half-foot-long table. Oh, it was a 13-foot, one-inch <laughs> Yeah, it was conference just table. a little shy. So, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm finishing up my version of it, and I'm kind of by myself right now in Joshua Tree, and I realized how ridiculously heavy so the tabletop i'm working with is the same length as mike's it's just a little bit wider it's six inches shorter yeah therefore about (laughs) (laughs) therefore also probably about 30 to 40 percent heavier yeah absolutely because it it was built out of three slabs instead of two yeah so i'm just figuring out how i'm gonna flip it over so i actually have to get the guys from my construction crew for the house over in the morning to to flip it over because it's uh it's a beast but I really like the design you've got going on for the base. I don't want to give anything away, but you're doing a really cool job of... And this is the beauty of welding, is it's so additive, the way you're building this base, rather than it being based on any kind of particular joinery or anything like that. You're just really building up layers to make a really substantial base that looks really unique. Yes, so it's, it is reminiscent of a church organ with all yes. the pipes. There you go. And right now I'm just think i have a solution for i mean i'm gonna assume that all the legs are perfectly level but when you have six legs the chances of one of them being you know a 16th of an inch short is pretty high so right now i'm considering how can i insert something just into the end like a little shim that inserts into the end of one of the pipes to just fill it in like a 16th of an inch should i need that so i yeah I'm thinking about some sort of epoxy with a quarter or something like that uh or a washer you nailed it. I was about to say, I would go with a washer, but yeah, that yeah. sounds like a good idea. I was thinking about possibly working in a magnet thing as well, just because magnets are cool. <laughs> magnets. Now, let me ask you, so if you had to shim it, would you wait until you were on site installing it to yes. do that? Okay, because I was going to say, yeah, what, what kind of floor was it there, Mike? Was it like a concrete floor or something? His is going on the second story, so good luck getting it up the stairs. Mine went on the first, uh, and it was that was exactly right. It was just a slab floor, but I have no clue what's on the second. I have not been up there. If it's carpet, it won't be a, yeah, a big say, deal. Yeah, it should be fine if it's carpet. And yeah. if it's an old building that's been renovated, correct, Mike? Yes, and it looks really cool. You, I think you'll really dig it when you get in there. Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I'm going to bring shims with me, and I can kind of shim from two places. I can shim between the tabletop and the way the leg attaches, and I can then shim underneath the leg as well. So between those two places, I should be able to get it reasonably level. 
Oh, and I've got one more idea that I just thought of. Since you're doing it on site and it's probably convenient to be able to do it really quickly, is I know in the garage, in the in the in the bucket or the can with all of the different tapes, there is carpet tape, double sided carpet tape, mm. and that is absurdly strong. So you could slap that on there, trim it to the trim it to the outside of the washer or cord or whatever you use and it should stay oh nice i'll make sure i bring a sharp knife and some awesome. double stick tape no, no that's that's actually the thickness of the tape alone with maybe a little piece of felt might be enough too just to keep it yeah. from from rocking or, or bridge that gap i think so um and then on the last note while we're on the what we're doing in updates your boy finally released his playlists i <laughs> saw so I got one up on Monday, one up on Wednesday, and there will be another one tomorrow on Friday. So check them out. They're a lot of fun. The idea is it's an eight-plus hour-long playlist. So if it's a Saturday or if you work and you like to listen to music and you don't like to worry about it, except maybe skipping a song you don't like here or there, these are built for you. Each of them kind of have a genre or a vibe and find the one you like. I'll be consistently uploading new tracks to it or updating it with new tracks and getting rid of the stale ones. So thumbs up to that. Good man. All you got to do is go to Spotify and search Mike Montgomery or you know what? I'll put a link in the podcast bio because I've not figured out exactly the social media side of Spotify at all. I'm going to have to do a little bit of research there. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, last week, Ben, you were about to go into a long, or not a long, but you were about to dive into the conference that you went to and that you were actually on the judging panel for. And it was essentially a design or a business kind of competition where they were pitching you different ideas and you were basically deciding which ones you thought were cool and all of that kind of stuff. So I'll let you talk more about it. But you know what? Yeah, go from there. I was at the Urban X Accelerator and Accelerator is... It's sort of something that takes startup businesses and helps them sort of polish up their presentations as they go looking for funding and then also helps sort of spread the word about their product or service or whatever they're creating and doing. This particular accelerator is is a pretty cool one because it's focused on businesses that actually have a social mission as well. Things that are trying to do things related to reducing waste in cities or improving energy efficiency or improving transportation. And the whole thing is kind of sponsored and co-funded by BMW through the brand Mini that they own. So it's kind of what what was really impressive to me about it was that they weren't trying to sell cars at all. And I kind of think that that's cool is that they were saying the brand Mini is about city and urban life and about small cars that can maneuver around and park easily. And nothing about this whole event, and we went to Demo Day where, where all the, the startups in the accelerator were pitching, nothing about it was about cars. And I think that's that's such a nice thing sometimes when when, when brands don't hit you over the head. And through that, it's like it actually creates like a – I think a strong sort of affinity or loyalty. And I think that's particularly effective with high end brands where they're trying to sort of create connection that might lead to you eventually making a, you know, 30 or $50,000 purchase or something like that. So that part was really cool. They also had a really interesting international. There wasn't a lot of Americans, most of the influencers that they brought in and we weren't really so much to like judge and award winners, but it was more just to ask questions share our own ideas because we've all sort of seen a lot of different things and then also just sort of put the word out through our 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 social media accounts 
and the 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 group of influences they got was just really impressive. There, you know, I think I was the only real maker there, but there was people that had started uh, companies that were about zero waste. This woman that that has a store where it's all things that will sort of last forever. Uh, this really amazing guy that just goes around. Uh, you know, he has millions of followers. Names uh, uh, Jerome. And this this uh, French guy, I think he used to be like a model or something, but now he just raises like millions of dollars and builds like schools and facilities in like all over Africa and in sort of impoverished countries. So they just brought in this really eclectic collection of people that were all trying to do cool things that had sort of a, a humanitarian uh, output and it, it was also interesting to just sort of meet them all from different parts of the world here from france and germany and and also just talking about how influencers in europe think about their business on social media very differently than than we do here and, and brand deals are totally different so all that was was fantastic there's highlights of it on my instagram but i thought the part that would be interesting for us to talk about today is this whole idea of like how do you present yourself and what this accelerator did and is they really coached these businesses to create like one to three minute pitches uh these videos that sort of explained exactly what they're about and not just about their ideas but also why these ideas are going to be lucrative which is important because if there's a social mission there you want it to be financially scalable so the impact can be really really big so it was it was amazing to see how polished these presentations were because they had spent months and months sort of refining the message down to the second. So it was very reminiscent of, you know, when I when I did my my TEDx talk where you go through these iterations to refine things and when you have these sort of, you know, strict time limits, it's often much more about what you're cutting out and seeing it so well edited down where something as complex as a totally new type of company can explain that and make it make, seem like totally sense and like why didn't this exist before in two minutes is a pretty impressive thing. And we can link to some of these presentations. I, I shared some. The the one that I thought was uh, the most fun and the one I could probably get involved with the most was this company called Campsite. And what they're doing is they're finding parking lots in places like san francisco and they're turning them into these little private parks so they're taking parking lots that that aren't too big that are often have two vertical buildings on either side so they become like a little courtyard they put a gate into it that has access via like your phone and what they found is that a lot of businesses want to have recreational areas like the way like the big you know rich startups like google and facebook and all those companies do but most companies can't actually afford that so if you do want to have like sort of an outdoor retreat or an event or something and you have a company in san francisco you can like rent these spaces by the hour or use them for like outdoor meetings and stuff like that and they're taking things that are used for parking which don't generate you know which in San Francisco, they generate a pretty good amount of money, but they're raising the value of the land. They're creating sort of community parks and these things that can be used for all sorts of events. So it's people there instead of cars. And the the, the numbers on it, on what they're sort of generating out of this, you know, these few parking spots that they have for sort of their, their test sites is pretty, it's pretty exciting financially. And it's just like a little thing like that. It's It's just cool to see that happen because now... You know, if you're if you're walking by that that parking lot every day, 
what used to be just a bunch of cars, you know, that could maybe only accommodate, not like a lot of cars, like maybe it could accommodate 24 to 30 cars. That's not a lot of cars. That's not, you know, solving the parking problem of a city. But that same amount of space can host all kinds of awesome events, concerts, uh, things like that. So I, I think that's like a pretty cool trade-off. And it's nice to see things like that that can also make money. That's really cool. So I love the idea right off the bat. And so my question is, were they really, really good at conveying that and pitching that right off the bat? Was that one of the immediate stands out, standouts? And did it stand out based on the pitch or the idea or a combination of the two? And then how did that all progress? It was, I think what was impressive was, I mean, as a designer, I kind of was looking at their aesthetic of how they designed the park. I was like, eh, it's a little loud. I wouldn't do that. But, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an my, interesting choice. My, my taste might be a little bit more severe, and theirs is very colorful and more like, a, like an adult version of a kid's playground. Oh, okay. The, I thought the whole thing was convincing. The, the thing that I sort of, if I was to have sort of a bone to pick, was the way they sort of projected nationwide. And I think they were too heavily relying on a financial situation that would make that a really viable model in San Francisco. I mm-hmm. don't think it would be as viable in other cities uh, that don't have the same density and don't have the same sort of astronomical property values. Right. Also, I think it also works well in a place where you have a temperate climate. You try to do that in a place like Boston, which would make sense in terms of the demographic but you're not going to be able to use it for like four months out of the year that being well, then said it goes they, back to parking right exactly so there, there are there are things like that that i think weren't really addressed but uh overall is a pretty good uh it was a pretty good thing what was interesting about all these companies is that they really were and all the influencers are all saying like oh these are all such great ideas but they're all their social media is terrible <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, I mean, that makes sense when you're sort of in a startup mode and you're just building the idea of the business or a prototype, uh, you often don't have you know, time to, to, to figure that out. The other one, which I actually bought their product already, was a really cool bike helmet. Yeah, I remember oh, yeah, seeing I this one on that. your Instagram. And, I mean, one, bicycle helmets, you, there are very few cool-looking bicycle helmets. Fact. <laughs> and I used to think, uh, oh, never mind, go ahead. They're also not very comfortable, right? Like they're like a hard styrofoam shell. So what they did is they they didn't use one piece of foam. They used a whole bunch of little pieces of foam. And then they kind of wove them into like a knit like ski cap or a beanie. So it feels like it's snug to your head and it's more one size fits all. Because it's like has a little bit of stretch to it. But it actually has more impact protection because the foam's in little pieces, so it absorbs more energy because the, the, the impact of a blow can get distributed amongst the pieces of foam. So amazing design. I supported one on – I bought one on Indiegogo. Super comfortable. And, yeah, they, they were talking about you know, the number one reason why you know, uh, people get injured in – bike accidents is because they're not wearing a helmet and the number one reason why they don't wear helmets is because they're dorky looking or uncomfortable <laughs> or a combination of the two <laughs> yeah so that that was cool there's some other ones that were more sort of like high tech about energy management and stuff like that there's also one that was about it was sort of like a yelp for grading apartments so huh. so if you're going to you know if you're gonna let's say we get a big media deal and we got to move to new york mike uh 
and you're looking at apartments online because you don't you gotta you gotta get it ready before you get there. They're creating this way. They're pulling from public databases from like health and human services, and then creating this really handy sort of five-letter grade system for apartments. The same way it does for like for restaurants. For you know, that's cool. Does it also allow people to that had lived there in the past to like review the landlord or yes. the kind of situation with all of the management and things? Yeah, and it's but it's more objective than Yelp. That's pretty cool because there's the website that's similar to that for professors, like university professors. I can't yeah. remember the name of it. Rate my professor. And a lot of times, rate my professor. That's such an yeah. easy name to remember. <laughs> but a lot of times that can go one way or another. Like if someone doesn't like the professor, it can be a little skewed maybe. Yeah, it's usually right. pretty uh, – it's either they're the best or the worst. But that's cool to hear that it is like objective and everything. What, what this whole sort of experience got us sort of thinking about was – how we present ourselves and it's something mm-hmm. most of us just do informally it's rare i can't think of too many times other than maybe a lecture or a big public talk or like the tedx thing where i'm actually really refining and honing that message most of the time i think we're all just kind of winging it and that, you know, sometimes, especially if you find yourself not having the results that you're wanting, either in terms of selling your yourself or your services, uh, getting hired for the job, getting those custom commissions that you want, getting the reaction to content that you're posting on social media, it might be because you're not really refining or taking that message or presenting yourself through multiple iterations and really whittling it down to the really important stuff that's going to resonate with the people that you want it to. And kind of maintaining a con- consistent image or whatever right. you call that. I think what, you know, and I, I've been, I'm probably still guilty of this a lot where I trust that I have a lot of good ideas or ideas that I think are interesting. And sometimes I'll, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure listeners of the podcast have uh, noted, we'll just unload a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> and, well, podcast is probably the most forgiving format for that, hopefully. But I never would do that in, on a YouTube video because, you know, the, it's, it's a much shorter attention span. It's something where people are watching it and it, it's taking the, the whole of their focus. So it's something that I really sort of uh, struggle with when I'm doing any sort of formal presentation is I'll make a big list of all the things that I want to say and then I'll cut out. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of go through a a very ruthless process of eliminating all but like the three or four best points right on um so and that's been something that's been helpful for me so to kind of relate it to the idea of whether you're pitching yourself as as a commission-based you know furniture builder or you're looking to like pitch your idea what was the through line of successful pitches that you saw or unsuccessful pitches and they don't have to be broadly unsuccessful but where were some of the common downfalls that you saw a lot of people falling into and maybe a consistent thread of where people were really successful. The, the the most consistent problem that I saw was from teams that were led by engineers. Ooh. And it was engineers that got fell in love with the technology and not with action and were just so excited about this technology and its capabilities and they weren't really communicating how that was solving a problem that people could care about. Right. So they were enthralled by these these ideas of what this technology could do. And they see all the potential with it, but they're not framing it in terms of pain points or 
things that bother most people on a normal basis. So therefore, you're kind of like, all right, you're smart. That's sort of cool. But how does that make my life better? Why should I spend money on that? Why should I talk to uh, my local city council people and make sure that this technology is deployed around the city? So I think that happens a lot in the woodworking and maker version where it'd be people that get fall in love with a technique. Yeah, or the tools. Or maybe a tool or a process. And they're not thinking so much about how the audience that they want to reach is looking at the final product and seeing that as filling in a need. They're, they're sort of – they're getting enthralled with the process porn and not so much placing that into a way where it solves people's problems. Well, Chris, I mean at the beginning of the episode, that's basically what you're talking about is – going too deep into the process was limiting you from being able to double dip in terms of making a video and selling it as a commission and you making a compromise is what's allowing you to do the both. Yeah. I think, um, actually just, so thinking about how you present yourself, I was actually thinking about, you know, every video that we make is essentially us presenting an idea or, or, you know, something similar to that. And I always, I think that one of the pitfalls that people fall into early is concerning themselves or worrying having their first worry be about like being entertaining or being funny or whatever when really i think the first goal in any time you're presenting yourself should be making sure that you're not being confusing i always think that's like the worst thing you can try to do like even if you were i don't know if you're telling a joke or whatever you could tell a good joke you could tell (laughs) a bad joke but if you tell a confusing joke there's like no way that anybody's going to get it. And I think the same can be said for if you were pitching an idea, you know, making a video, whatever, that's just like a great way to get people to tune out and just be like, I don't know, maybe I'm dumb or whatever, but moving away. Was that confusing at all? No, it totally makes sense. It's like, (laughs) Hey, I want to build you this, but let me tell you why you actually need it. Instead of saying, instead of going to a person that loves records and being like, Hey, I want to build you a record console. And it makes sense because they need it. They love it. And it works for everyone. Yeah, actually, when you said that, that just reminded me. I remember I, it doesn't happen so much with the stuff that I watch on YouTube anymore. And maybe it's because people are getting like the game is getting up to it or whatever. But I remember in tutorial things that you would watch in the past, it would always be like you got to skip to like two minutes to actually get to whatever it's supposed to be. Like people would just go into way too much background. It'd be like if you start all your videos, it's like, all right, today I'm going to show you how to build a dining room table. Well, actually, let me back up. Okay, there's these things called trees, right? Actually, wait, let me back up. All right, there was this thing called the Big Bang, right? And then it's like they just like give way too much background detail. And that leads so, us into dining rooms. Dining yeah. rooms are rooms normally attached. No. <laughs> yeah, popularized by the yeah, Romans. Exactly. It's And that totally makes sense in the context of developing some sort of an elevator pitch you know, to quote, unquote, yeah, get to the meat is just get to the value of what you're trying to re- present. The discipline that I think does it really well is stand up comedians. And they'll, mm. they'll go up night after night with the same material because they're trying to just hone it and adjust yeah. it and figure out where do I, you know, change my inflection to, to bring out the most laughs or how do I sort of watch the audience as I'm delivering this part of the joke so that I can raise the energy for this part. So they're yeah. they're going through the same routine over and over and over again to try to trim it, adjust it, and iterate it into something that's really polished that they end up in you know in like a in a Netflix special. With what we do, we don't really get to do that so much, but we have the power of editing that is our sort of version of that, and we can shoot multiple takes of just the parts that we sort of 
sort of missed, where in our community of YouTube makers, the part that I that I see as people sort of, you guys watch The Office, right? Mike, I know you watch Yo, it. Love it. So I've seen it. I've seen it all. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> Michael Scott is always trying to repeat lines from famous comedians, right? And yeah. he's trying to take these jokes that he's seen other people laugh at and apply them out of context, and they just fall flat on their face. And he's always like, kind of surprised that, like, but this is gold. Like, this works for this guy. Yeah. The same thing happens, I think, a lot in the sort of YouTube maker community where you'll see a lot of people, uh, they're like, oh, you know, people are so interested in like Jimmy Duress's shop tour. So I'm going to do a shop tour. But they're doing it maybe, you know, Jimmy's interest came after hundreds of videos where mm-hmm. you only saw little snippets of the shop in the background. So it was years of building up that mystery. And then there's a payoff at the end that, that everyone wants to see. Whereas a lot of people are taking, oh, shop tours are dope because Jimmy's shop tour was dope. I'm going to do one as like my second or third video. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. kind of putting the cart before the horse. Right. They're, they're not thinking of the whole context of how they're presenting. They're sort of just repeating punchlines that they heard kill for somebody else. Uh, yeah, well, it's a good idea of digesting what works and then understanding why. That's the important takeaway. Or like whenever you say that, that's what I'm getting out of it. It's not just recognizing that something works, but understanding the context of why. Right. And then how do you, applica- or then how do you apply that to what you do? Right. And at this sort of startup I- event, the analogous situation that I saw there was that everyone there is trying to raise a lot of money and investors don't really want to invest in good businesses that are likely to succeed. They want to invest in businesses that could become huge. So you could give the most awesome pitch and everyone there could be convinced that you're going to create a $5 million a year business, but you might not get any investors because it's just not worth their time to risk money at all for something that's only going to have that output. You know, that would be more, that wouldn't be like institutional or, or sort of like VC firms. That might just be, you know, you got to find your rich uncle kind of a thing. Right. So <laughs> no, exactly. knowing that, people tend to try to inflate what they're aiming at. Uh, and so rather than saying, hey, maybe a venture capital firm isn't my audience, maybe I do want those sort of friends and families are put together people that would be really happy with those returns and don't want to lose the money or, or, or aren't investing in 20 deals a year so they can't afford to sort of uh, lose in it. And this idea of managing expectations too is if you have somebody that invests and even though you might have the expectation of like, we'll be a $5 million company, I'm going to be so happy with that. We're going to do great. It's going to support everybody. But when you have somebody that's looking for those really high yield returns and they're not happy but the person that in their mind is successful, they're like, I don't get it. Why is he mad? We're successful. What I saw happening was people were sh- changing their ideas and messages to fit the audience rather than finding the audience that would fit their ideas. And yeah. I see that a lot with, hmm. with, with startups in particular where they have an idea that could be a great $5 million a year business. But they ruin it in search of trying to figure out how to force that to be a hundred million dollar idea because that's what they think their other MBA friends will think is cool. And for us, I mean, it's also thinking about what can we actually turn into a good project for YouTube or what's just like a little clip on Instagram and not try to force things to to where they don't don't belong. 
I think a great example is people love seeing little clips of oiling up some uh, some cutting boards or that gratuitous you know finishing of the woods on Instagram. Might not want to watch a whole YouTube video on it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a ten minute supercut. But that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can develop a really cool media presence strictly by sort of dominating the the Instagram space. Yeah, find me on Instagram at oil me up. <laughs> I I am sure that's taken. It's got to be, and it is not uh, safe for work. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, was there any uh, big takeaway where you saw the through line of success in a pitch to kind of round out the idea where uh, the people that were successful they all tended they all seem to have this one kind of unifying characteristic? People that are self-objective that they they are able to see themselves and because you're you're presenting yourself and your ideas. And if you get investors, they're investing in you. Mm. And it's people that are able to see how the world sees them and then build around that rather than trying to be someone that they're not. And, I mean, for me, that would be like if I tried to be like super high energy and really like funny and quippy on YouTube, that's just not my personality. It's it, it, I could see it working really well for other influencers. and if But – that doesn't mean I need to do that, right? Uh, yeah. I need to figure out the way I, I need to be myself. That being said, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I think it's time that I sort of – one, I got to improve the sort of production quality of, of my YouTube videos, but I also have to sort of switch format and change things up a little bit. Uh, I think the thing that's been working for me for you know the first four and a half to five years of, of this endeavor isn't – there's just more people producing that that uh, type of video now. And so I'm not differentiating enough uh, and not using all the assets that I sort of can bring to the table by just doing it so sped up, so fast, just showing the assembly. Four or five years ago, there was fewer people doing that. So the speed of production, just getting out a lot of content, was the right move in, in my opinion. Because I was building sort of just a, a big library as fast as possible, putting out you know one or two videos a week and just just building up that library. There wasn't as many people doing that. Now that it's it's sort of shifting, I'm thinking, well, I don't even have to do a video a week. I could do a video every two weeks, but I should start to. I'm, I'm gonna. This year was supposed to be about bigger projects, and I took on a lot of big ones. Mission and accomplished. I, Yep. So next year, I think, is going to be more about deliberate projects and sort of everything more on a schedule, more on a plan, and also sort of just upping the the production and figuring out how to bring a little bit more. And this is totally uh, inspired from Chris, is bringing a little bit more of the design decision-making sort of narrative into the, into the videos. Uh, I think you nailed it, Mike, when you sort of said that creates sort of like a first and second act and then sort of the, the reveal is kind of the third act for, yes. for Chris's mm-hmm. videos. I probably won't go quite that long, but I think it's, I can show not just what I made, but how I decided what I wasn't going to add to the design. Ooh, I like that. Awesome. Well, what are you guys obsessed with this week? I want to hear what you've been watching, what you've been listening to, or maybe what you've been eating. Who knows? I've been watching the... Did you guys watch the Conor McGregor fight? Woo! I did. <laughs> yes. It was... That that whole card was bananas. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I was obsessed with the whole idea. Like, I 
think that that's probably the best business outcome that could have happened. I mean, obviously, the UFC would have profited more if Connor would have won. But yeah. the craziness... You're talking about the fight after? The craziness is all good for business. Like People are like, oh, this oh, is yeah. such a bad night for the UFC. I'm like, are you kidding? Like right. That was all adding to... The- people were more interested in that crazy brawl. Uh, yeah, I think it would have been great if... Okay, so the quick thing that happened, for anyone that doesn't know, spoiler alert, the fight between Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Whatever. Nope. Long story short, after the fight, Khabib runs out of the cage, goes and attacks Connor's trainer, and then one of the people from Khabib's camp, I think, hops over the octagon and goes and like sucker punches Connor after he just taps out from getting choked. And so my perspective I was going insane. I've never been so hype in my life. Well, I've probably been a little more excited, but it was up there. And I think it was amazing up until they hopped the fence and like tried to sucker punch Connor. Because up until that point, everyone was aware they were going to get hit. But as soon as people start getting hit from like behind and stuff like that, I think it goes a little too far. But I think you're absolutely right. The amount of coverage that they got from that whole incident, the hype around it, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do a rematch logistically, but if it's humanly possible, I don't think there's a way to make a bigger fight in the world. I think that there will be a rematch because of this. If, yeah. if none of that happens, it's like there's no need for a rematch. Kind of what everybody that if you follow it closely, what you thought was going to happen is what happened. That's the way that the fight played out. You know, you knew that Khabib was basically going to take him down and dominate the fight. And that's essentially what happened. But because of all the now all the extra drama that's going on, it's like that sells the rematch basically. Yeah. The thing I just thought was so interesting about the whole thing is that you have one camp, Connor, who's really good on social media, huge social media following, and he talks up a fight and he's totally knows that he's hyping it up. Right. And so he yeah. talks a whole lot of crap and makes threats and it's just makes it personal too. Revels in hyperbole. Because to him that's part <laughs> of the business of building interest. The other guys are from Dagestan, which is, you know, a, a rough place to, to grow up. So they tend to not have such a sense of humor uh, culturally about, like, threats and things like that. So this whole time, they were very stoic and quiet. But they were taking that all personally and serious. And they're not really, like, the sort of, like, flashy hype guys. So it's like mm-hmm. they took him literally with yeah. all his hyperbole for building the fight. And again, got to know your audience because... Those uh, Dagestani guys were not playing around. <laughs> they, not were, <laughs> they were going to try to end him. <laughs> yep. Well, anyway, so that was exciting. Chris, what do you got this week? Uh, did you guys watch the uh, Conor McGregor fight this week? No, yeah. just joking. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> no. Um, I got an Apple Watch. I just got it oh. today, so I'm still kind of learning it and figuring out what it can do. But So watch out for that upcoming charging station video. That's right. There's still no charger that I actually I take that back. Johnny Brooks sent me a charger. I need to I, I haven't looked into it yet, but I need to see if it can charge both. Otherwise, I'm doing something some kind of all I'm saying is if you do make one a charging station, you better you better do it up future proof, baby. That's a, my angle. There's a million of them out there. And I'm not saying they're bad, but there's a lot with the same features. They may look different, but ultimately they're serving the same purpose. So you got to come in with a left hook, man. What about jab, 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 right? Was it right <laughs> hook or left hook? I don't remember. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it was right. Okay. Um, 
is there one where like maybe that could be the future proof aspect of it is that in remember before I was talking about having the bottom of it like perfectly shaped to whatever whatever charger you have there and then uh you and johnny told me why that was a bad idea but what if the top was perfectly made to like nest your items so that because let's be real okay you're going to sleep in the middle of the night you're not going to be like searching around for where to place your phone so that it starts charging but if it had like a tiny little recess so that you just felt it pop into place but that would be pretty satisfying your phone is you know the, the shape of the phone you have right now is definitely not going to be the same in four years from now so maybe having that be like the removable part that you could customize to whatever device you have every two years or whatever i'm with that that yeah so essentially in the organizer you have this six inch by four inch designated location where you have a phone insert yeah you could be totally you know it could be two in the morning you could be buzzed or whatever i wouldn't know I don't know how that feels, but you could just kind of reach over blindly and slide yeah. your phone and it, you'd feel it pop into place. Anything with a positive stop is exciting. So I'm down with that. I like it. We're doing it. And then you can put modular in the title. So it's totally worth it. Modular, future proof, <laughs> Namurga Madoff, Connor, nightstand. Awesome. What are you obsessed with, Mike? This week, I'm going to shout out a YouTube channel I've been watching for a long time, and they are a photography and production-based channel called Mango Street, M-A-N-G-O, mm. like, the, like the fruit. I don't mm. like Peter McKinnon. I'll say it. <gasps> I don't like his videos. His tutorials are sometimes good, but I don't like his personality, and I don't like his videos. I don't think they're entertaining. Dang. I'm going to get some hate for that, and I know it, but <laughs> I'm sorry. I think he's like great dude. I'm I'm very happy for his success. I think that's awesome. But his content is not compelling to me. But these guys, uh, it's a I don't know if they're married. I think they're married. But it's a guy and a girl combo that both do photography. They had a background in wedding photography and videography. Now they're full time content creators. And the way they built their channel was that same tutorial base that Peter McKinnon did. And they're slowly branching out into other content that I find less appealing to me, mainly because I'm there for kind of the value-added thing rather than the entertainment factor. But they do a great job of explaining equipment, techniques. If you're interested in color grading video or color grading photos, they're a really great resource for that. So anybody looking to up their production game just a little bit, whether it's video or stills, check out Mango Street. They are very good. And they've got a good Instagram feed as well. So I'll leave them along with all of our other obsessions in the podcast notes, which those links are clickable. So you can click that. You could click the makerbrandco.com link if you wanted to. Really any of them. All clickable. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're not already, subscribe. What? You're listening to this podcast and you're not already subscribed? That means you must be Googling it every time before you listen. Come on. Get with the program. The button is right next to the icon. Subscribe. That way you get it every week. Also, review it. We love five stars, but more importantly, we just love reviews. It lets the podcast app know that we're good and that they should suggest us to new listeners. We're trying to climb the charts. Right now, we are number 14 on visual arts. I'm looking into figuring out how I can change what category we're in. That way, we're a little bit more noticeable because the visual arts category (laughs) is not blasted out as much as games and hobbies, per se. Mm. So anyways, we're still climbing the charts. We're still top 15 of a category. Yeah. We should all take up finger painting to legitimize ourselves. There we go. (laughs) Anybody that orders a sample 
that we talked about at the very beginning of the episode during our notification. Those will be getting shipped out ASAP. The link is down below. Please let us know what you think. We've got a lot more samples. Last time we had a few hundred and those literally went in about an hour. So now we've got about a little over a thousand. So we're going to see how long those last this time. We're getting as much of it out to as many people as we can. We really hope you love using it. We love it. It's worked so amazing for us so far. And we can't wait for you guys to get it in your hands. So follow that link in the description. We are not profiting whatsoever on this oil. The oil itself is free. All you have to do is pay for the shipping like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We are at Benjamin Ueda, at Four Eyes Furniture, at Modern Builds, and collectively at Modern Maker Podcast and Maker Brand Co. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye. Oh. We need to record something for WorkbenchCon. Should we do? Should we just record something now and then we'll throw it in the beginning? Yeah, that was the plan. We're also yeah. going to do the maker brand announcement now. Okay. And cut. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all going to be in there. Fail. Yeah, I think so. It's like okay. a little sneak, <laughs> a little sneak peek behind the scenes.